Oh, yeah, this is a good one. Uh, you know, this woman has a lot going on. As we say on the show, she's kind of a big deal. Vonda Wright, uh, Chief of Sports Medicine from uh, Orthopedics Northside Health in, in Atlanta. She's just a hot ticket. She's writing books. She's all, all over media, Dr. Oz, The Doctor Show, The Today Show. She's one of those go-to orthopedic surgeons. She does motivational speaking. She's an entrepreneur. She's got her own podcast. What does this woman not do? This is a great episode. You're going to love it. I am really excited. We're taking a little pivot here at the Ortho Show, and we're bringing you now Pitch Pro. We have an amazing group of panelists. Think of it sort of like a shark tank for orthopedics. Joe Mullings, Vindasa, the fro, and the bearded one, Matthew Ray Scott, on a panel where medical device and pharma companies come in to pitch their story. We listen, we talk, we provide advice, and it is a hoot. We have amazing personalities. We provide amazing counsel and advice uh, to these groups. We are having a lot of fun. You guys are going to love it. Pitch Pro by The Ortho Show. From medical media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic world. I am super excited today for our guest, Dr. Vonda Wright, who's the Chief of Sports Medicine and Orthopedics at Northside Health System in Atlanta. This woman has a lot going on. As I like to tell you about myself sometimes, she is kind of a big deal, and we are thrilled to have you on, Vonda. What's going on? Wow, I'm going to go out and come right back in to hear that a second time. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for well, having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. You know, I'm really excited because, you know, each orthopedic surgeon that we talk to sort of brings their own really very interesting story. And I think you've got some tremendous non-orthopedic things, which I'd love to discuss with you, that you've developed a tremendous following for yourself. And uh, I think you can help to educate our listeners on a bunch of really cool topics. So, so we'll get there. But we always like to start sort of where it all begins. And I don't know that orthopedics was on the front of your mind for maybe your occupation at first. I, I looked at your your background as far as college is concerned, and you got a master's in, in science and oncology nursing. So when did the whole sort of orthopedics thing sort of come into view? You know, when I, uh, you're right, I was an oncology nurse first in a time when we were not as good we, we did the best we could, but we weren't curing as many people then as they do now. And so I did that for a number of years and helped run the Rush Cancer Institute where Midwest Orthopedics is. And I knew some of those guys when I was a nurse there. Um, but then I decided to go back to medical school. And, I, you know, we get in medical school, you'll identify with this. We get separated out pretty early. We have the people who are clearly destined to be leaders in medicine. And we have the people that are going to go into surgery. And, and we, you know, I wasn't sure until the very end because I had always pictured myself as an oncologist, right? That was my background. But, you know, I grew up on a farm in Kansas, so I've got these hands that can make things. I can see it with my brain. 
and just it connects and I can do it with my hands. And I've always been this way. And so that coupled with the surgeon's mindset, I uh, thankfully did a, an orthopedic rotation with Michael Brogge and um, a doctor named Tulin, who one was at the University of Chicago, where I went to medical school, and the other one went to San Diego. He might still be there, foot and ankle surgeons. And what could be more cool than um, making people walk again and in doing so, giving their lives back? And and so it really fits in with really my whole approach to medicine in general and surgery is that, you know, we talk about our why a lot. Why do you do things? Well, I do like being a carpenter. I get it. I like it. Remember, farm on farm in Kansas. I can do I can do all kinds of those mad skills. But when I show up every day and do arthroscopy or or put metal in bones or whatever I'm doing for patients, talking to them about their goals and their life, you know what they want their lives to be. It's because I know that as orthopedic surgeons, we're the gatekeepers of mobility, and by giving people their mobility back, we're not only making them walk again but we're saving them from the ravages of chronic disease, which every other doctor in this country is trying to treat, right? So we're the ones that get to affect disease in a meaningful way. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, no, that's great. And and what we do is such demonstrable healers, right? We take these people that can't walk or injured and we can really make a difference in their lives quite rapidly and improve them to get back. And what a difference from the oncological nursing that you were doing, you know, earlier in your career. So it's really sort of a flip of a switch as to what uh, what an amazing, you know, sort of healer you can become so quickly. So, yeah, I mean, I drank the Kool-Aid early on. Love orthopedics, always have. It's just been an amazing career. I would never change or do anything different. So you go to University of Chicago for, to get your, your medical degree, and then you, you hoof off to Pittsburgh with Freddie Fu. And if you want a second opinion from Freddie Fu, you just ask him again, right? That's the old line that we've all heard. So you got to have some great stories from University of Pittsburgh in your time there. Well, you know what? I went there to interview in the middle of winter like we do, and it wasn't really high on my list, but thank God that I, it was snowing. It was a blizzard. The airports were shut down. I had to fly into another city and rent a car, but you know, and thank God I did, because when I got there, I found a place full of stories, full of history. You know, Ferguson was there. Ferguson, one of the fathers of orthopedic surgery and University of Pittsburgh has trained more chairmen than any other program in the entire country, including Antonia Chen, whom you had on, we can talk about, but I predict she'll be a, a chairman someday. And her current chairman, Jim Kang at Harvard, came out of Pitt. And so what an amazing opportunity to be in a place where performance and the expectation of leadership is in the fabric. But in that, you get a lot of people with a lot of unique personalities who, you know, we tend to attract leaders there. And so you can only imagine. But You're right. Dr. Fu is a force to be reckoned with. And it was not unusual uh, for me as a faculty to get a phone call at 5 a.m. with an instruction or a, did you see this? Or what about this resident? But you know what, for sure, when you're getting a 5 a.m. call from your chairman, um, you either, you A, pay attention and B, you know, you've got his attention because nobody else is talking to him. So it's a it's an amazing thing. The other amazing thing, I think, there's so many stories. Listen, you're going to have to have me on for several days uh, to get to all these. But what was amazing to me to watch was when Freddie started um, 
really rethinking his ACL procedures, which has been a real movement within orthopedic surgery, right? Everybody was doing transtibial. It was, it was, you know, how fast could you do it? It was clock face, how many millimeters down the clock face. And then Freddie and some of his Japanese colleagues started to rethink it. And, and I'm getting to the point. The point being, I was a junior resident when I would, I would did a lot of research. So I got to go to all these conferences. People would stand up and scream at each other across the auditorium about what are you talking about? Double bundle. What are you talking about? Anatomic. But what I learned from that entire progression over the last 25 years or so that I watched ACL surgeons um, go from how fast can you do it to let's recreate the anatomy is it made everybody stop and think again about a subject and an anatomy that they might have thought was, you know, how many more papers can we do? There's already 3 million papers on the ACL. So I really appreciated that scientific approach to rethinking your own um, mantra, right? I really appreciated that at Pitt. Yeah, no, that's great. And, you, you know, we talk about ACLs. And again, you know, I get mom, I know you're listening. There was a lot of technology in there. So we're going to break it down. But, you know, even now, take a look at Greg DeFelice and his is the repairing of the ACL and how we're thinking things so differently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was really a remarkable time living through that with the double bundle of the ACL and then converting and now changing where the tunnels go. And it seems to me that uh, it's been an evolution of thinking. And I think that's what, what what creates great orthopedic surgeons is that we teach them how to think, right? Not how to do operations. So I got to give a shout out to the Tufts program. We got a few chairmen too with Bill Levine. <laughs> yeah, that's and, right. And, Dr. Levine. Right? We got Chuck Cassidy at Tufts. We get better all the down at Duke. So we got some, we got some cool chairmen too. Yeah. I got to give my shout outs where we can. But <laughs> You know, one of the other things about the, the Pittsburgh program in particular is, you know, we've had some, some we have amazing orthopedic surgeons on the show, and I don't ever, res- you know, uh, discuss it as gender. You're a great orthopedic surgeon, whether you're a man or a woman. And I think the Pittsburgh program was was very uh, aware of female orthopedic surgeons in training. And I think you, you we, we talked about Antonia Chedu. We're so excited for her episode coming out in the next two days. Uh, she's just such an amazing, uh, on such a trajectory for sure. But I'm sure your program uh, was was a great breeding ground for female orthopedic surgeons. Well, you know, to your point, it was a great, it is a great breeding ground for orthopedic surgeons in general. But I was thankful that our environment, although tough, like I don't want anybody to think it was a, a cakewalk, although tough, there really was a mindset of how can, because it's an, it's an innovative place, right? How can we be the first to have concussion care? How can we be the first to do 3D x-rays? How can we be the first to do something else? How can we be the first to have 15 female orthopedic surgeons? And in doing so, changes the entire environment. And we're still, you know, we've still got an amazing opportunity, as we like to say at Northside, an amazing opportunity in the future to reach a critical mass where we can really uh, take orthopedics to the next level when it comes to this subject. But um, I was thankful for the opportunity I had there. Yeah. And then you move on to some, you know, just kind of okay sports fellowship. You happen to go to HSI, oh, one of the top sports fellowships in the world with Russ Warren. I mean, I how cool was that? Come on. You know, I'm walking you know? on the shoulders of giants. I was surrounded. You couldn't, yeah. there were no non-giants at HSS. So I'm, I'm uh you know, it's another another thing to be thankful for. If HSS, you're listening, they're probably going to send me a request to support the residents for that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Oh, you'll happily do that, Valda. Come on. So All those book sales of yours, come on. Oh, send them in a royalty check. There you so. go. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I remember my time at Curl and Joe, much less, you know, it wasn't just the, the you professors. You guys took care of the of superstars. Them. Holy yeah, cow. Yeah, I mean. All the athletes, yeah. and you were just like blown away. We, I think, I operated on four NFL quarterbacks in that year. We were there. Yeah. It's just an amazing experience from from the operating room, learning from these amazing people, and then the amazing patients that you have, and then the team coverage that you do. And it's just a. It and a, you're in California. I mean, come on. And yeah. you're in California. Yeah. But I have to say, yeah. Neil Alatraj is from Pittsburgh. So. No, I know. He was a big football guy. So Neil was about four years ahead of me. Oh, was he? When, uh, he? He was one of the newer attendings when, when I was out yeah. there in training. Neil was always so great about letting us operate, too, which was, you know, one of the things that you never knew how it was going to play out. We're going to get Neil on the show, too. We just got to get him to sort of pick up his phone and say hi. But we'll have, we'll have to get Neil on the show, too. I guess he just took care of Brooks, uh, Kepka. So, you know, you saw that. That yeah. was interesting. So good for Phil Milkerson. That's oh, always so cool. I was thrilled to death. And yeah. You know, just because he hadn't won in a while, you know, I like he's just, kind of a little underdog and he just joined the senior tour. So he's one foot in both sides right now, but good for him. Yeah, I love it when when people do things that we're just not supposed to be able to do. You know, it's just all those crazy fans. Did you see him <sighs> gathering around the green? They couldn't and even like, walk. I know. It was, a, it was the craziest thing. But, uh, you know, great for Phil. It's amazing. So. So let's move on to some of the cool things that you do, because, you know, you spend a lot of time as an orthopedic surgeon, but you also spend a lot of time outside of clinical medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and one of the things that I, I'd love to talk to you about and is your, your motivational speaking. And uh -huh. you, you have a few things that you describe, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say them out loud here. Basically, the authority on active aging mobility, mobility, smart nutrition, building relationships, harness our power to control 70% of our health and aging. So you take that philosophy and then you go to everyone that will want to listen. So tell us about that. Cause that's not, everybody does this. I'd, I'd love to learn more. Well, and I love that you asked that question because it's not just me being interested in mobility. And I used the term before that orthopedic surgeons are the gatekeepers of mobility. It is our responsibility to give our patients the tool of mobility uh, to stave off chronic disease, because I, I, this is a line from one of the speeches. You say you give a speech enough and you you quote yourself. But if you have diabetes, you take a pill for diabetes, hypertension, a pill for hypertension, heart disease, a pill for heart disease. You get where I'm going. The only thing that affects 33 chronic diseases that kill people in this country is mobility. And who are the gatekeepers of mobility? We are. So if you ever get a, a long day in the OR and you're like, what am I doing here again today? Remember, you're actually saving people's lives, not just putting metal in their bones. But it's not just my opinion. You know, when I came 2005, I was a chief resident. I was going into HSS and I had the opportunity to do original research on 3,000 senior Olympians. And so to be a senior, I'm doing air quotes now, senior Olympian, you have to be 50 years and above. You have to have won your state um, senior games event to go to the national event. And if you, you have never seen 11,000 more motivated athletes than people who are 50 and older, like Phil Mickelson, still running four minute and 34 second miles. I'm not kidding. These are not just uh, casual athletes. They are professionals like you and me, 
but they are serious about harnessing the power of mobility. So that was my first foray into really studying musculoskeletal aging. And I continued that throughout my career and published a series of original research looking at the role of mobility on uh, bone density. We did a couple studies on that, lean muscle mass, performance, you know, how how long do we actually stay fast? And our research showed that you can you can really maintain your performance athletically until you're 75 years old, unless you are hurt or you give up. Or I mean, there's really no reason to slow down. And we're seeing that. Look at the athletes that are aging into their fourth or fifth Olympics. Um, and we also looked using the impact tool since we had uh, the impact developers on campus at Pitt. We looked at executive brain function as it related to uh, mobility. And, you know, you stay smarter longer when you move. And when we did this work, it was really the beginning. No one was really talking about it, so much so that when Bruce Ryder, who is the the editor of um, one of our big orthopedic journals, I submitted um, to the sports journal, I submitted my first paper to him and, you know, honest, I got to be honest, and I'm far enough in my career, it doesn't matter if I say it, some of my reviewers literally patted me on the head and said, good little subject for a young doctor. And I could, I, if I knew them, I could just see them sitting at their desk like, why is somebody looking at musculoskeletal aging? But Bruce Ryder um, saw, the, saw the vision of it, and he wrote the editorial about it. He, he published the paper. and. Um, you know, now everybody's talking about musculoskeletal aging and how we can live long and prosper. And it, even orthopedic surgeons. I mean, so, you know. Yeah, no, it's so funny. We get caught up. I mean, patients come in, I got shoulder pain. You know, I got knee pain. And so, you know, you, you put the drapes on, all you see is a shoulder, all you see is a knee, but there's so much else that goes in, you know, to the process. So it's interesting. So so you sort of, you, you, you found this concept and then you, you got well-received and you ran with it. And so how, do, how does that translate? So, so you're developing a message that you want to share. Uh, and then you have to also be able to work on public speaking to be able to share that message effectively. And so please go. I hear what you're saying, asking me. You're asking me, how does an orthopedic surgeon founded in research become a public speaker, not just a surgeon's? And that is a fantastic question because I think a lot of surgeons have a lot of great things to say to the public. And there's a certain panache to being a surgeon, isn't there? So uh, sometimes people listen to us. So um, what I find all of my talks, whether it's advertised very commercially, as you see, and I've gotten into some, I've gotten some sideway eyeballs from my colleagues, like, why is that? Why is she do, off there doing this consumer facing thing? Well, Here's why I think it's important for surgeons to share their research to consumers. And this is why I do it. And this is why I've written all these consumer-facing books that you see behind me. If I see 100 or maybe you see 200 or however many patients you see a week in your clinic and then you fix some of them, that is a very small number of people who have benefited from your work or more so your research. You know, you toil away in a research lab, you figure out how to do something amazing for people. But unless you get out there and talk to the public about it, nobody's going to know because the only people reading our journals are the 300 of us who read our journals, right? So I started 
presenting my work to the public, A, because I believed what I've said nine times now, we are the gatekeepers of mobility. What we do matters. We're going to save you from chronic disease. How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to do it by the way that I discovered in my research. I always say that in my particular case, I'm not just another fitness chick. I'm a surgeon. And I I had a stem cell lab with Johnny Huard for many years. And I did the original research, right? So you can trust me. So you've got a message, you've done the original research, and now you have to present it in a way that does not bore the heck out of your audience. Because I got to tell you guys, we can be pretty dry up on our podium saying that the methods were this and such and our statistical hoo-ha. But if we does, if we take our message and think about how would I want somebody to explain blockchain to me? How would I want somebody to explain artificial intelligence in a way that is smart enough that it doesn't insult my intelligence, but broken down enough that I can get it? That's how a surgeon becomes a public speaker. They take the work they know, they they package it in a way that the public can understand it. And then if it's a new venue for people, I just tend to have the gift of gab, but uh, I would practice on non-medical people, right? Practice on your mother and her boyfriend. Practice on the people, you know, on your patients and say, are you getting the research? No, I think that's that's fantastic. I mean, we we have tremendous uh, number of listeners from all walks. It's not just orthopedic surgeons and that this is the type of stuff that they love to hear. And your your, your brand and your message is very, you know, particular. I'll tell you a funny story. I was prepping out your research for for things last night and I have your website out. My wife walks by and she's like, oh my God, she's gorgeous. And she's an orthopedic surgeon. And what's this book that she just wrote? I'm like, she's like, I want to get that book. I said, but you know, that's exactly what happens. If you can learn to, to message in such a way, you're exactly right. Not just to your single patient in the room or just talking to other orthopedic surgeons, the important work for me, it's opioids for you. It's aging in the process. Mm -hmm. You can really make a difference and communicate to people in a way that will really make a difference while you're on the planet. So great job. Kudos to you. And my wife will be thrilled to hear that we got her onto the show too. Okay, so uh, and among so you, so your uh, you know your motivational speaking speaks for itself at this point. And now you know one of the other things that you've moved into or you're you're doing quite successfully is that you're an author and you've written a number of books. I'd like to go through a couple of them, and perhaps mm-hmm. this would be an opportunity for you able to share some of your really important ideas for our listeners mm-hmm. out there as far as aging and mobility, and some tips and pearls that you might be able to provide. Uh, for the listeners as well. So your first book is Younger in Eight Weeks, The Ultimate Aging Guide. So was that your first uh, publication? That's my last one. At, well, oh, that's my I last got it backwards. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> Aside from my textbook, we just put out a textbook right before I left Pitt. But Younger in Eight Weeks is a book that I published with Rodale Press um, because I have never self-published. I've always published with publishers. So if anybody wants to write a book, I'm happy to talk to them about it. Just uh, email me or something. Um, But that book is all about breaking down the steps, but every chapter is backed by science. So when I write books, I find that people want to be told exactly what to do. Just don't give them a big bucket of information. You have to say week one, this is what we need to do. Week two, it's just like post-op instructions. Don't say, okay, uh, here's a bunch of Here's a bunch of things you can and cannot do. I find in my patients, they do best when I say day one, and I have a timeline, day one, here's what we're doing. 
week one, here's what we're doing. We, by week four, this is because I find when I just give them too much stuff, people can't digest it. So this younger in eight weeks uh, is all referenced with science. We talk about telomere length. We talk about uh, just so much. There's an exercise program and nutrition, but it's just a way to communicate with people that gives them a solid bedrock of what to do next. Fantastic. So uh, where can they get that book? I always like to let everybody know oh. so that we make sure they can listen and find sure. and read. All my books are on Amazon um, that they can find. Or if anybody's on my website, Dr. D.R. Vonder Wright, they're all listen, listed there too. But this book that I mentioned, I'm showing you, I know this is an audio, this textbook that I wrote with Dr. Kelly Middleton. Now she was another one of my residents. She was a pro softball player at University of Pittsburgh. But this is a research-based book on every aspect of taking care of athletes as they age. And so, you know, it's a textbook. So a lot of great contributors, lots of people you know, Scott, have contributed to this uh, pillars in, in sports medicine. So that's kind of cool. Congratulations again. Again, Heather, you know, I don't know. I'm so far behind. I don't have a book. I don't think there's there's one coming right now. Although my wife is writing a book and I know she's going to be listening to this. So she's going to reach out to Yvonne uh, for sure. Absolutely. She's into fresh floral home gardens, all things French. And she's uh, written a beautiful book on on uh, flowers in Paris. And, and so I think it's going to be pretty amazing. So we're really hoping for her to get published soon. Oh, I can't wait to see it. In fact, she may have to, my daughter and I are going to Paris next summer. She should come and guide us through the, uh, the legendary gardens there. We'll do one better. You're going to take a tour with her. She goes to Provence at least two to three times a year. She takes a group uh, and you go in the, just amazing spots. You, you, you go to the antique shows, you, Oh, sign me up. it's really it's awesome. They're, they're like, Tell them my name. I'm on your list. All right, you're on the list. You're on the short list. Fantastic. Okay. All right. So let's so again, fantastic work on all the books that you've done. You've also done a tremendous amount of research and published research with your peers as well. Mm-hmm. But again, I want to go back to some of the cool stuff that you do. We share okay. a little bit, but you do it a little bit more than I've done it. But and that's that's the 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 real consumer sort of media that's out there. You've done Dr. Oz, you've done the Doctor Show. So, I mean, how do you get comfortable in front of that camera when the lights go on and you're trying to message? I mean, what 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 gets you to a to a place where you can really get comfortable and relaxed in that setting? You know, I I think the good thing about orthopedic surgeons is that we talk for a living. Honestly, we think that we cut and put stuff in for, put implements in for a living, but think about your day, you know, think about your long day. Um, How many, how many conversations you have and how many times you break down really complex information. Cause I know you do this. I mean, I think lots of us need more practice at this, but I do my best, but we break down really complex information into bite-sized pieces. That is exactly what you do for TV. You just, you know, it's no different, except you're talking to 5.5 million people. Every time I go into Oz, it's 5.5 million people or more. But what you're doing is you're taking a complex topic and you're making five or six bullet points that you need to articulate clearly in five minutes. And I'm telling you, that's what you do 40, 50, 60 times a day if you're an orthopedic surgeon, right? So baseline, 
you've got it. Now, I think the hardest thing for medical people is breaking it down in bite-sized pieces and not saying things like, oh, the the notch of the knee is a clock face with who's inside. We're bringing it down the medial wall and we're going to sew it together. And, you know, all this jargon that we use and uh, the acronyms, that has to go. So, for instance, when I talked about, I was on the Today Show to talk about Tiger Woods when he, when he crashed and had that uh, uh, open tibia, right? And the media was using all the wrong words and they were, you know, people were, saying all the wrong things. And so I'm not a trauma surgeon, but I'm a sports gal. So they called the sports gal, right? And so for them, if you go back and watch that, all I did, they said, Tiger Woods has a compound fracture of his tibia. He's going to be out. What does this mean? And I just broke it down into what is the tibia? And what does open mean? And what does compound mean? And I corrected them. We don't actually use the word compound. We use these words. And, and how, how is it probably going to be fixed? And once, you know, we were talking about the rods and then what is the recovery going to be like? That's five points. And all we did was take the medical jargon and use, and use common language synonyms that were accurate. I think that's the biggest thing that, that this group listening to you can do is correct the fake news, correct the bad jargon, correct using the word compound when it comes to Tiger Woods fracture. You know what I mean? Just be the truth. Great, great advice. And being honest, uh, people can read, you know, if you're honest, I, I always joke around. I mean, I did a, uh, early on with Gabby Reese, we did a, a road show. We did satellite media transmission. We did live TV. We did a bunch of stuff. And it was a very, very similar message. We always got the same message across. We had two minutes, you know, mm-hmm. get it in, get it out. Your five points like you talked about. And I remember we went, we, we got asked to do the doctor show. So we fly out to the doctor show. And it's so funny, before every one of my lectures, I always, I always ask everybody, you know, did, did anybody see me on the doctor show. And so far, the only two people that have raised their hand are my wife and my mother. Because okay. those people are working. <laughs> yeah, no. Your audiences are working during so, the day when that you're, show on. You're so right. It's so true. But <laughs> but so I walk into the green room and I'm like, I'm all ready to roll. It's, you know, this is straightforward. I've, I've got my thing. I know what I'm doing. They're like, no, these are the five points that we want you to do. And this is what you need to do. So I sat in the green room and had to like, you know, memorize the Re-memorize. Rememorize different lines now, and yeah. we go out there and get, it was so funny. They booked this for like three and a half hours, and uh, we did it in twelve minutes in one take. They said that's fantastic, and we walked out. So it was a Good it was job. a lot of fun, very exciting. And uh, uh, now Gabby Reese's husband is also a remarkable. Yeah, he's athlete. got a lot. He's got a lot going on. Laird Hamilton. He had a hip replacement, and she had a knee replacement done at Cedar Sinai on the exact same day. Who took uh, care of them? Yeah, who took care of each other, right? Who took care of each other, exactly. Uh-huh. Well, of course, Laird was on a skateboard down the hallway day one after his hip replacement, but, but uh, Gabby took a little longer. That's how we, we got together in the opioid sparing world and letting people know that you can now successfully undergo total knee replacement and not even have to take a single opioid if you have the right uh, right uh, process of doing it. So thanks. I had to share that story because I saw that you had been on and I know you do a lot of this. So great advice from you as for any of our listeners that may get an opportunity because I know that 
a lot of young doctors when they're first starting out, that's a great way to be able to get exposure, to be able to be on media uh, and be able to, to spread a message of something that you may have. So thank you very much for sharing that. So one of my other passions too, which I know is also one of yours, it's on your website, is that you're an innovator and you also describe yourself as an entrepreneur. Now, a good friend of ours from the Ortho Show, Matthew Ray Scott, has coined the term the orthopreneur. So we're going to use that for you as an orthopreneur. What does that mean to you and how has that become an exciting part of your, your practice of medicine and the things that you do on a daily basis? Well, you know what? That's, that, that's a good term. Congratulations to him. So I always describe myself as an, an entrepreneur, which no one gets. Because no one gets the word that I really am, which is an intrapreneur, which simply means that I am a builder of businesses within businesses, right? So I worked for the University of Pittsburgh, and I didn't have my own business. But within there, I was the medical director of the UPMC Lemieux Sports Complex, which we built from the ground, filled with 25 doctors, and built that business with all the cool business lines that were there. At Northside in Atlanta... We've built an entire orthopedic surgery department with all kinds of cool business lines, including, you know, relationships with the VA that were never there. And and so that's what I mean. I build businesses within other people's businesses. But in terms of my own entrepreneurship, this book, Fitness After 40, was the first book that spurred a 20-skew um, uh exercise equipment line with Dick's Sporting Goods, Ed Stack, uh, the the former CEO. He's the hereditary CEO. He built it with his father. Um, uh, Lauren Hobart is now the CEO. But that's that book spurred a 20-skew fitness line that had fully one-third of their fitness wall in 500 stores across the country. But when I wrote this, even 40-year-olds couldn't stand the word 40 because it wasn't cool to be old yet, aging yet. Now it's so cool to be aging. If you're not aging, you're just too young. But it, So we had to then rebrand all that equipment under a brand called Thrive. And that's why I wrote my second book, Guide to Thrive, which is really a strategic plan for nutrition and exercise and why you want to do it in the first place, what you want your health to look like in the first place. But so then this brand had 20 SKUs of exercise equipment. That's pretty entrepreneurial. That got a lot of side-eye glances from orthopedic surgeons who couldn't understand it because times have changed, Scott. When I started doing this in 2005, when I was on TV and doing, I had my own website and I, I do all the social things that are so common now. I didn't have a podcast, but so common. Like if you don't have it, it's like, what's wrong with you? You're not advertising your business. Um, I got into a lot of trouble, actually. It, it was a real gig in perseverance to say, this is how you, we all need to be communicating in the public. But now to your point, young people coming out of fellowship, it's just second nature to them. You know, where's your website? Where's your social media? Where's your, not everybody has a podcast, but you know what I mean? So times have really changed. No, you and that's if you talk to anybody who's innovative as you're you're trying to change the way people think or change a paradigm, you know, the laggards are always going to look at you cross-eyed and say, what is it that you're doing? But then, you know, once you get across the chasm uh, and then you 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 get these people to come on board and what seems like such a, a distant idea or a silly idea becomes mainstream and standard of care. And so you're absolutely right. 
so far ahead of the curve. And now there's so many of us that are doing all of the things that you're describing. And uh, and Vonda, I could tell you, you did not disappoint. I knew you wouldn't. Uh, I'm just so impressed by all of the really cool things that you're doing. You're an amazing orthopedic surgeon. You still care about your patients and do all the greatest and latest for your patients. But yet you think outside the box as the entire body and the aging process. And you, you're a speaker. You're writing books. You're on media doing all of these great things. So uh, you really are a leader uh, of orthopedic surgeons, and it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Scott, I'm so thankful to come on today for all your encouraging words. And, uh, you know, coming from you, an innovator yourself with the non-opioid approach to care, I mean, you've, you've changed an industry. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be on with you today. Well, we can't share. We cannot wait to share this story, Vonda. I know it's going to be a, it's going to be a great one. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.